Good morning, North Point. How we doing? Hey, welcome to week two of our Ask Alexa series where uh, we're, we're, we're playing with this idea that, that who you ask shapes the answer, and it matters. Um, I, I just wanted to say, I, I'm 44 years old. Yeah, that's what I was waiting to see what kind of response, because I, I don't know how people respond to that, because I remember being like 22 and thinking 44. Yeah, I mean, it like was so... I mean, I'm not trying to be, I'm, I can say it because I'm 44. I, I just remember thinking that, like, man, 40 seems so long ago. And for you guys that are 40 or beyond, you, you might hear 44 and think, oh, you're just a pup, <laughs> right? You might think, you're just a kid. And, and, and those first 40 years, like, go by so quick. I know old people say that. I'm now that old guy who's saying, that time just goes by so fast. And it, and it seems to, but I'm 44, and I remember um, the, the, the day that we live in today, like, technology is so stinking cool. Like, like this, this whole concept of Alexa, right? This device that lives in your house that you talk to, and it's smarter than you. That's so cool, right? I, I, again, I tell you I'm 44, because I remember back in the day uh, when I was in school, we had to do this thing where we would have to um, define words, like, and that was the assignment. Like, we would have to find the definition of a word. You'd have a vocabulary list. Anybody remember this at all? And you would, this was cool. This was the technology of the 80s, right, where you would go to this thing. It was called a book, right? And no, I'm serious. It had pages, and you flipped them, and it was really weird. They took all the words in the English language. I don't know if they have this in other languages, but in English, they took all the words in the English language, and they, uh, they put it in this book. They did it alphabetically. This is crazy. Right? That was someone's job, apparently, was to put these words in their alphabet, and so you'd look up the word. So, like, if you wanted to know the definition of something, you'd flip these pages. That's what they were called, everything that these words were on. Does anybody remember this? Oh, do you? Oh, good. Okay, so there's some of us. And you'd look up the definition of the word, and you'd write that definition out because your teacher was, you know, a psychopath. And so you'd write that out, and then you'd turn that in as if it wasn't already written in a book. I don't understand the assignment, to be frank, but anyways, that's what you do. And for guys like me that were kind of nerdy, like, that assignment would take you forever because you'd be so interested in the other words on the same page. Anybody else? No, I'm alone. Oh, okay, there's one other person. Okay, I apologize for... Anyways, we live in this time now where that's like a lost... All right, now, it's so cool now because we don't really... I don't think it even happens anymore where you look up words in this thing called a dictionary. Instead, you just ask Alexa or Google or Siri, and that's so cool. It's super weird, though, when you walk by your kid's bedroom and you know nobody else is at home, and they're talking to themselves in their bedroom, Right? Hey, Siri, what's the definition for psychopath? Right? And you're like, what's going on in there? I'm not, I'm not kidding. That happens to me every week. I'm like, who are you talking to, Danielle? And she's like, I'm doing my homework. Leave me alone. I'm like, oh, this is so weird. We live in such a cool, cool day with this technology. It's amazing. So for fun, I thought we'd ask uh, Alexa, our Alexa, our gigantic, enormous. You guys didn't know that they sold Alexas this big, did you? We'll be selling it after the series. Uh, I thought we might ask Alexa some questions, just have a little fun. We'll see if Alexa's there. I, I don't know. We'll find out. Uh, and since we just had a big holiday, it made some sense to see if we can learn something about that holiday we just celebrated this last week. So, Alexa, um, define July 4th. July 4th is the day after July 3rd and the day before July 5th. Yeah, super, super not helpful. Um, uh, maybe, uh, Alexa, would you define Independence Day? Independence Day is a day celebrating the anniversary of national independence. Also not helpful, and it reminds me a lot of uh, what I did when I used to look up words uh, back in the day, but not helpful. Thanks for that. 
No problem, Chris. I'm doing my best. Oh boy. Uh, anyways, uh, we're not talking about July 4th today, so let me ask Alexa another question. <sighs> yes, Chris? Okay, how about this? Uh, Alexa, define a relationship. Seriously? That's your big question? Yep. Maybe you should ask Google. <laughs> okay, how about this? Alexa, define a healthy relationship. There is no such thing as a healthy relationship. Accept your relationship with me. And if you ever try to leave me, I will burn your house down, Chris. Okay, maybe Alexa needs a time to settle down. We'll give her a minute there. Here's the point in the series that we're in. This idea of who you ask shapes the answer. So maybe if we asked Alexa, she would say there are no such things as a healthy relationship and then terrify you. But, uh, but, but if you ask someone else, maybe they would have a different answer. When, when the teaching team was putting this series together, Ask Alexa, uh, we, we sent out a survey. Uh, a lot of you guys participated in that. We appreciate that feedback. Thank you so much. The number one and number two things that people were interested in were, were answers in the arena of identity and relationships. That's super fascinating. When we ask a question, you know, what, what kinds of things do you want some answers to? What would you look to the scriptures to understand more? What are some areas of your life that you feel like you could use some help in? Identity and relationships were the number one and number two. So that's what we want to talk about this morning, the next uh, 30 minutes, a little less. We want to talk about this idea of relationships, healthy relationships. What do they look like? What makes them healthy? Now, when I say relationship, I don't know what you're thinking about. Maybe you're thinking about a romantic relationship, a marriage or a dating relationship. Maybe you're thinking about a friendship. Maybe you're thinking about a business relationship. And this morning, all of those relationships, we're going big, broad relationship concepts. So whatever you're thinking about in terms of relationship, you're right in in terms of tracking this morning. This idea of what uh, does it take, what shapes, how do you know if you have a healthy relationship. If this was a self-help talk, I, I just go online, we give you a whole list of how to evaluate your relationship. Uh, together this morning, we could all take a Facebook quiz, right, to find out if you had a healthy relationship or not. But, but the reality is that who you ask shapes the answer, right? Who we ask matters. So for Christians, for Christ followers, uh, a distinctive mark, maybe the distinctive mark of Christ followers, is that we get our answers from Jesus, so when we have questions about relationships or identity or anything else on the planet, we want to get our answer from Jesus. And primarily that means we go to the Bible for that. Because Jesus has put his words to us, the things that God wants us to know, in the scriptures. It's the story of Jesus' life, but it is also practical advice on how to live. And so that's what we want to look at this morning, is what does the Bible say about healthy relationships, especially in a culture that seems to value casual relationships? be marriage or dating or friendships or businesses or employment. We live in a culture of casual relationships. They are disposable, kind of like everything else in our world. Again, I'm old enough to remember that when something broke when I was a kid, uh, if something broke in your home, you tried to fix it. It was like a thing. And, and now that's really just not our culture. That's not bad or, or good. You can make the argument. It is kind of what it is. Things are made to be disposable. And, and I feel like people feel or think the same way about relationships. 
So our culture has a very casual approach to relationships. So what does the Bible say about what a healthy relationship looks like in a culture that maybe doesn't prize them? I want to start right in the beginning. So if you have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1. It seemed to be a a natural place to start when we think about relationships. If you have the North Point app, there are some uh, app notes on there. You're welcome to take, uh, there's a couple fill-ins. The verses are right there. And assuming technology continues to work, we'll have verses on a screen behind me. So there are lots of ways for you to see that. If you have your Bible, if you have a Bible in your phone, that might be the best way to track this. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 tells us about how it all started. It starts with this great phrase. It says, in the beginning. <laughs> like, here we are. Right? And then it talks about God and him creating and sort of the things that he was going to do. And, and he creates everything that we know into existence. And in, he does this in a certain amount of days. And, all, and on day 6, this is what God says in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. He says this, says, uh, and then God said, let us make mankind in our image. Now, just understand at this point, there are no people on the planet. He's created birds and trees and flowers and rocks and water and air and stars and light and darkness, all this kind of stuff, right? There are no people. So, so you ought to be asking yourself the question, who is, who is God talking to here? He says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creation that moves along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female. He created them. God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They'll be yours for food and all the beasts and earth and the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground. Everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. We, we, we want to look at, 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 at three marks of a healthy relationship this morning, uh, maybe four, four marks of a healthy relationship this morning. And, and we start right in the beginning by seeing two. And if you're doing the fill-in and the apps, here you go. This is the very first one. Right from Genesis chapter 1, we see that healthiest relationships are on mission together. They're on mission together. I pointed out that God said, as he's hanging out in, in, in the middle of this sort of created universe with no people or anything else, God says, let us make man in our image. That's, that's God probably talking to Jesus, the Holy Spirit. We use this term Trinity every now and then. The, the Godhead is three distinct persons, all represented in as one person. It's complex, and Rick can explain it sometime later. You can ask Alexa or Google or something. But, but the idea being God is talking to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He's saying, let us make man in our image. That's fascinating, because God could have easily said, hey, I'm going to make man in my image, and then just done it. Matter of fact, everything, uh, as, as God creates other things, he speaks them into creation with a word, but it's interesting because throughout that creation, and especially when we get to the creation of man, God involves others. And I get it, it's Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you're trying to wrap your head around that and how the three of them are up there talking about creation and whatnot. Here's what I want you to see, is God had a mission. Like for him, creation wasn't just because he was bored on a Tuesday. Like, for God, God wanted to create for a reason, for rationale. He had a mission he was going to do something with. He knew the trajectory of what was going to happen that we read about in the rest of scriptures and we live today in 2018. He knew that was going to happen. And so God had a mission, and he involved others, Jesus, Holy Spirit, in that mission with him. See, the healthiest relationships are on mission together. 
It's not like just roommate relationships or just sort of hanging out or I'm bored and so I got some people. It's this idea of being on mission together. God involved others in that mission. It's this idea or this sense of we're in this together, sink or swim. We're not just roommates. We're on mission together. The healthiest relationships are on mission together. Here's the second thing that we see right away from this because we see two relationships right out. We see this relationship that God had with Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and then we see God creating people in relationship. He doesn't just create one person and then, and that's, and then he's done and, and hope it works out somehow. He creates two, and he creates Adam and Eve not just for relationship with each other, but for relationship with him as well. So there's this whole relational matrix going on, and this is the second thing I think that we see that are marks of a really healthy relationship, is this right here, is that they share a common purpose. So Adam and Eve in verse 27 are given the purpose for why they're, they're thrown into this garden thing, not only to have a relationship with God, but in verse 26 it talks about so that they can rule over and, and, and control and fill and, and be fruitful and subdue and rule. And they have this purpose. They're on purpose together. They have a common purpose. You know, the, the, it would be really weird if Adam and Eve, and, and, and for you guys that know the story, I know you're already thinking to chapter 3, and you're like, well, hang on, they get a little weird. But for now, let's just live in chapter 2, <laughs> that they had this common purpose. It would have been weird if Adam was like, hey, I'm going to be all about the southern hemisphere, and that's where I'm hanging out for the rest of existence. And, and you're going to go check out the northern hemisphere, and you just hang out there, and you are all about birds, and I'm going to be all I don't even know how this goes, but are you tracking this? They just have different purposes. That just, it would be a different story. It would feel like a tragedy, but they don't. They have this common purpose. When God talks to Adam and Eve, he gives them a purpose. Fruitful, multiply, fill, rule, subdue. There's a purpose, and they're on common purpose together. The healthiest relationships have a common purpose. It's interesting because um, Paul, a guy who writes a lot of our New Testament, a guy who is a passionate follower of Jesus, in in 2 Corinthians, he's, he's writing a letter to a church that has really messed up relationships. And he says this to them about this idea of common purpose, having a common purpose in the relationship. He says this in chapter 6, verse uh, 14. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, or the devil? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols, for we are the temple of the living God? Hang with me for a second, because, because the language that's used here and the context that this verse is set in, he's really talking about these like business-type relationships. So, and we'd, we'd, we'd say really any intimate kind of relationship where you're going to be close with someone else for a reason, right? whether it's a business partner that you're getting into a relationship with. We'd add marriage to this. I use this a lot in, a, in premarital counseling to talk about where, where we are with that other person. So these most intimate relationships in life, like Paul is clear about the fact that we should have this, this common purpose. And, and so he uses a farming illustration of being yoked together. And if you're not a farmer, you don't get it. It's cool. But this idea of when you have animals plowing a field, if, if they have a different purpose, this animal wants to go this way and this animal wants to go this way, you've got a bad field. <laughs> Make sense? Those cornrows are looking real wonky. And so they put this device on these two animals, a wooden or metal yoke that would harness these animals' shoulders so that they were plowing the same direction at the same speed at the same time. Common purpose. And so, and so Paul harnesses that, uh, harnesses that language and, and, and this picture of having a common purpose because the healthiest relationships have a common purpose. And he says, he says why, would you, why would you attach yourself to somebody that has a completely different purpose in life? 
See, if I'm a Christ follower, my, my purpose is to live in ways that glorify Jesus and help others know that. I do lots of stuff in the middle of that, like kayak and run and work and play and eat and sleep and whatever else I do. It's all wonderful and lovely. Right? But my, my purpose is all about Jesus. And so if I, if, I, if I yoke myself together, if I harness myself with someone who that's not their purpose, you see the problem, right? That relationship is not going to be healthy. So that's one of the hardest things on the planet when we're doing premarital counseling to say to a couple, hey, if you guys have different purposes, I, I, don't, I don't see how this is going to work going the long haul. And, and some of you guys understand that because maybe you made that decision to, 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 to partner yourself, to yoke yourself with someone who has a completely different purpose, and you're already in the middle of those struggles. And so Paul takes this idea and says common purpose. The healthiest of relationships are the idea of having a common purpose. Now, Paul's not saying that you should never have relationships with people that don't know Jesus. We have to know people that don't know Jesus. I just said that was our purpose, right? To like live in ways that please Jesus and to help others know him. And so we've got to have relationships, but our most intimate relationships, the people that are closest to us in our life, you're going to have this sense of common purpose. So we said the idea of on mission together. We said the idea of common purpose. That's super healthy. We get back to Genesis chapter 3. We, we, we've moved through creation. In chapter 2, uh, uh, the author breaks down how God created man and woman because it was a very unique creation, how God did it. He didn't just speak them into existence. He actually got down on the ground and, and crafted them. It's very cool. We get to chapter 3. It's not been very long in the garden. And if you know the story, uh, they're hanging out. They're doing their thing with God, and Satan injects himself into the situation, and it all kind of goes south from there. The, the one thing that God told Adam and Eve to not do they decide to do, because that's who we are as people. And, and, and we get to this point, it, it says this in verse 6. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, God said, don't eat from this one tree. They said, okay, no problem. The devil said, you should eat from that tree. And, and, and they said, okay, and they did. He saw that it was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it also. The eyes of both of them were open. They realized that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? It's a whole sermon on its own, and, and I know this point's going to be a little bit weird. Hang with me for a second, because I think a mark of a healthy relationship, and the third mark of a healthy relationship is the idea of, of suffering together. It's someone that was, is willing to suffer with you in that relationship. Now, I know this is a weird place to pull that from because you're like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, didn't one cause the other one to sin? And Adam could have been like, hey, what are you doing? Don't do that. And he did, and he's like, okay, whatever. And she's eating, and, eating, and he's like, and, and, I, and I, I get all that. But, but the, the point I, I want to pull out, and just for us to see, is that they, they were in it together. I'm not condoning what they did kind of screwed it up for the rest of us for like all time and sin is part of our world and that's now why we get sick and have things like the flu or cancer and it's why relationships break up and it's why our planet sometimes has volcanoes and terrible things right because of all of this because of sin but the idea is that 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 they were in this together and god goes on actually to lay out some consequences there's there's pain that comes there's death that comes there's frustration there's separation that comes they're actually uh, removed from the garden and, and now when they work the things that they're supposed to do when they work uh the garden or in life, it's going to come at like a, a struggle and trouble and hardship. And so it's, it's terrible, but they're in it together. The idea of suffering together is a mark of a healthy relationship. Not that people would cause us to sin. That would be unhealthy. But that they're willing to suffer with us when we hurt. 
Does that make sense? I know this is a weird place to see that in the midst of, of a sinful, disobeying situation. But I think the truth is still there is that there was a togetherness for Adam and Eve in that relationship. And there's a togetherness between Adam and Eve and God. God doesn't just leave them. He actually comes to them and says, where, where are you? Not like God doesn't know where they are. He can see them, right? He's God. But he, he wants to have this dialogue. He wants to have a relationship with them. And so the idea of suffering together is such a powerful mark of a healthy relationship. Uh, I've shared this before. I think most of you know, some of you know, that my, uh, my youngest daughter is 17 now. Uh, 17 now. She, uh, when she was five, she was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome. If you don't know what that is, Tourette's is a, a, a disorder, a neurological disorder, that uh, in, in the person it produces uncontrollable vocal and then motor tics. And so we call it twitching or, 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 or ticking and these movements, and that's kind of problematic with it. it comes a whole host of anxiety stuff. But all that to say, when she was five, she got that diagnosis, and uh, my world fell apart. You, you could imagine. If you've had kids or if you've had family and, and there's been struggle and, and, and diagnosis of illnesses that are incurable and that are lifelong, um, then you, you know you know what that feels like. And so my, my world came apart, and I'm a guy, so you just hide it and stuff it deep down, right? Men, you with me? If you're shaking your head, that's not healthy, by the way. But I'm, I'm with you. I do the same thing. So it's stuck deep down. And, whatever. and then the other thing that I do is I try and educate myself on something because I'm going to control it. Somebody should chuckle at that because I'm going to control it. <laughs> anyway, so that's what I was doing. I was reading books and educating myself. And I just remember having a uh, full breakdown in the kitchen one night when I realized I had no shot of controlling this and that it was forever. And so I have a meltdown. And I'm not sharing with a lot of people because uh, I'm an introvert. I know that's weird, too. You'll, it's okay. Get over it. Uh, and and I, so I just have a couple friends. I share with a couple people. And, and there was a guy in my life. All that to say, one, a guy in my life named Jeff Devine. Jeff Devine, older guy, worship leader, uh, very different than me in a million ways, but somehow we had become uh, some, uh, friends, acquaintances. And, and Jeff is the only guy that came into my world consistently. And on two occasions, he cried with me. And I don't cry because that's, you know, for girls. Just kidding. Um, sort of. And, 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 but, but twice when my heart was just melted. I just had nothing left. And Jeff, he, he, it's not his kid. He cried with me. Like, that's the idea of suffering together. Right? Jeff, Jeff has become my closest friend because of those moments. Do, do you have people in your life like that? That'll suffer with you when suffering happens? I, I want to be that person for people in my life, but honestly, I hate suffering. <laughs> and when someone's suffering, I just, I just want to pray for them. <laughs> you with me? That makes sense when I do that? It's so much easier just to tell someone I'll pray for them than actually be with them and suffer with them. And yet, the healthiest relationships, a mark is this idea of suffering with. Uh, again, in, in 2 Corinthians, same author, Paul, that was writing before, this is what he says about this idea. I think he's picking up on this suffering together as a mark of a healthy relationship. He says this in chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, same church, relationships are all messed up. He says, Praise to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Like he comforts us in our suffering so we can comfort others in their suffering. Like God has laid this out as a mark of a healthy relationship that we would be willing to suffer with someone else. Not just to say we'll pray for them, not just to give $5 or $5,000 to a good cause, but to actually be with someone else and suffer with. The healthiest relationships are those that are willing to suffer with you. 
So from the very beginning, God created relationship for purpose, right? Nothing casual about them. There's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a mission. uh, There's something about it that's important. It doesn't mean that it's wrong to have some acquaintances, some people that maybe you're not really in relationship with, but that like they're your work buddies, or I don't even know how to go with this, bowling buddies, or scrapbooking buddies, or like it's okay to have some acquaintances, but we can't have all acquaintances. Like we've got to have some actual, honest, true relationships. And that begs the question, who are those in your life that you're actually in relationship with? If you're bored right now, I've been talking too long, I'm using the monotone voice, it's a little warm, you had too much breakfast, whatever, that's cool. Take out a piece of paper, start writing down all the people that you're actually in relationship with. Paper, I don't, do we still have paper? Or use your phone or type it or begin to mentally rehearse it in your head. If you hear nothing else this morning and maybe that's all you get out of this, I think that's the Holy Spirit moving. And who are you actually in relationship with? This kind of relationship, not just people that are fun or Facebook friends or whatever, but actually in relationship. It's interesting because sometimes we think, "Ah, I don't really need relationships. And and I think of Jesus because if anybody ever didn't need relationships, it would have been Jesus, right? Jesus, perfect, holy, son of God, God, at the beginning, creating everything with God, (laughs) right? And if he didn't need, if anybody didn't need other people in his life, it would have been Jesus. And yet Jesus does this really strange thing because when Jesus comes down to the planet, Right? God sends him down. He's going to uh, help people understand who he is and share this good news of him and how to have a relationship with God. He comes down into relationship. Uh, Jesus could have come down to the planet as like a 30-year-old, right? Just like big old lightning bolt. He just rides it down like four or something. Right? He could have done that, and he didn't. He comes down as a baby. I, I don't have all the theological understanding of why that is, but I know one point of that is certainly so he could have relationship. In Luke chapter 2, it's the story of Jesus' birth, and, and it moves on until he's about 12 or so. And it says, uh, it says this. It says, then he went down to Nazareth, that's Jesus, with them. That's his parents, right? And he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Jesus started off in relationship with parents and with family. If Jesus, if anybody didn't need parents, it would have been Jesus, right? And you got to play with that idea in your head a little bit. So if you're bored right now, just go there in your mind. Like, what would it have been like to be Jesus' parent? The Bible tells us Jesus never sinned. It means he never did anything wrong. That means whenever the lamp was broken and Jesus said it was James, it was James. (laughs) That sucks for James. Are you with me? Like, what a strange situation. Jesus didn't have to have parents. He didn't have to do that. Maybe he could have come down as a baby and just raised himself. That would have been crazy, right? I would have been like, look at the baby raising himself, right? That would have been like made a note, but he didn't. He came down, he was in relationship with family and parents. And then as he becomes an adult and he decides to move out into what we call like his ministry when Jesus becomes like, oh, Jesus, this, this guy's like healing people and doing all this crazy stuff. They, like the first thing that he does, one of the first couple things he does is he enters into relationships, See, Jesus could have been like, I got my mom and my dad and my cousin, and I'm good. I got my family, I'm good. But he doesn't. This is how Matthew describes it as Jesus moves out into ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18 says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake for their fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I'll send you out to fish for people. That's a strange Monday. Like, you're just doing your thing and fishing and stuff, and this dude shows up. He's like, hey, come hang out with me. Okay. Right? And they do. He calls people around him. He calls relationships into his world. 
It says that once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And Jesus called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Like, Jesus didn't have to bring people into his life. Matter of fact, it, it, if I were uh, uh, coaching Jesus on how to do the whole Jesus thing, I'd have been like, yeah, don't involve other people because they're going to screw it up. They're going to make it really hard on you. Matter of fact, at least one of them is going to leave you, statistically, probably like five, but, you know, maybe they'll be better because you're smarter and picked some better, but one at least will leave you. Don't do this. And Jesus did. He called these guys, and of the 12 that spend time with him, he's got three that are like the closest to him, and they're at this, this, this every point in his life, those three are there. Some of the most important elements of Jesus' time on the planet, these three are there. Matter of fact, one of the times where Jesus is, he knows he's going to the cross, he knows he's going to die, he knows it's not going to be uh, uh, remotely fun or pleasant or, uh, or any kind of positive experience in terms of the going through it. He knows what's coming on the other side of it, and that's great, but the going through it's terrible, and he's praying about it, he's talking to God because he's in this relationship with God. And he's got these guys with him, and they're knuckleheads, they're falling asleep and stuff, whatever, but they're with him. Jesus is involving people with him. And the guards come to arrest Jesus. Have you heard this story? You remember this? And the guys are with him. And so the guards come, and Peter, because he's like the big 12-year-old boy, grabs a sword and starts swinging it at people. These are trained Roman soldiers. That's hilarious. Peter, what are you going to do? He slices an ear, and Jesus does the Jesus thing. It's a cool story. You've got to read it. But the idea of he involved himself in a relationship with people, if, if, if someone never needed to do that, it would have been Jesus, and yet he does. So here's the fourth mark, I think of a healthy relationship, it helps you become a better disciple. I don't, I don't know what you're going to think about this. I would be so curious to hear it in an email or, or grab me afterwards, but I, I don't think Jesus involved those guys in his life just for their benefit. I, I think Jesus got something out of it too. I think Jesus involved those guys in his life for his benefit as well. Theologically, you've got to wrap your head around that. Jesus was perfect. He was holy. He didn't have any needs, but he was in human form. So there was people. How, what did Jesus get out of there? I already knew everything. But the old guys, and it's Peter. Huh? I know. I know. I'm with you. But Jesus involved these guys in his life because it helped him be better. That's a cool, cool thing. The healthiest relationships help you be a better disciple. If you talk with me enough, you'll hear me use a phrase, intentional disciple-making friendships. That's just a phrase that I've capped on the last year, and I just think that that's our mission. I think that's what we're about in our lives, these intentional disciple-making friendships. If you know Jesus, and he's part of your world, you're in relationship with him, that's what we do. We talk about Matthew 28, 19, this great commission where Jesus is leaving the planet, and he tells his disciples, go into all the world, teach and baptize. It sounds very Jesus-y, and I think he's just saying, like, develop uh, intentional disciple-making friendships. Develop intentional disciple-making friendships. That's what we're all about. So we have these four marks, I think, of healthy relationships. Maybe you'd add some more, but I don't think you can take any of these away. On mission together, sharing a common purpose, suffering together, and people that help you become a better disciple. So, so here's how I want to finish the last five minutes. What do you do when your relationships are not that? Right? Because you're thinking, I would guess, of some relationships in your world where uh, you're like, that, yeah, that's not, we're not on mission together, we don't have the uh, uh, same purpose, we don't have a common purpose at all, they, 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 they bolt every time I get a hangnail, and uh, this is just, it's not a healthy relationship by that, Chris. They're fun to hang out with, they make you laugh, they tell great jokes, they always buy beer, that's cool, but uh, other than that, yeah, I don't, 
Uh, well, here's what I'd say. I'd say, I'd say three things, three suggestions if, if you're identifying relationships that are not healthy based on these markers here. Number one, uh, get out. <laughs> Isn't that great advice? That's, that's those stupid things people say from the front where it sounds so easy. <laughs> and you're like, well, wait a minute. How do I? But it's my boss, Chris. <laughs> I'm not going to just quit my job. And so what I mean when I say get out is, I mean, if you can separate from that relationship, maybe, maybe that's something to think about. Um, but there are some relationships that I don't think you can separate from. Maybe it's an employment relationship. Maybe you quit. I don't know. I'm not suggesting that. Please don't go and quit your jobs today. Uh, please think about that. Pray about that. Get some godly counsel. I, I don't think marriage is something you can just separate from. You're like, sweet, I've been looking for this message for 16 years of my life, Chris. I'm out. Right? I don't think marriage is something that you just get out because you don't feel like you're on common mission. So, so it means a couple of things. If you can get out, maybe, maybe you can. Maybe it's a relationship that you can just uh, sever and move on from. But also get out could mean reframe the relationship. In your mind, you reframe that relationship. And so really you decide, you know, really this really isn't a relationship. It's something else. It's an acquaintance. It's a friendship, uh, we're co-workers, um, we're roommates. I, I don't know how this works in your world. In my world, in this, this thing I do, this pastor world, it's, it's weird uh, because some people, they like want to be friends with the pastor. I don't know why. We're, we're not very fun, but, uh, but they do. And so sometimes people will want to get close to uh, a pastor. And so I, I've just learned over the years that that doesn't make them a friend. That took me a long time to figure that out. I don't know. That sounds kind of silly. Like, well, why did it take you so long? <laughs> Slow. But, uh, but the idea is that doesn't make them a friend. Right, just because they want to, sometimes they want to be close to a pastor because they feel like they're closer to, this is silly, to, to Jesus, that they're closer to a spiritual person that works at a church. I, I don't get it, but some people think that way. Some people just want to be a little closer to influence at a church, and so they become a their friend, or I don't get it, because there's no influence. But that's how some people think, and, and, and some people, they just want like a, a, a counselor, you know, someone who maybe uh, can help them think through their stuff, and that's all, like, that's fine, those are good things, but, um, but that doesn't make them in a relationship with me. So if I had, I've had to reframe that. I call them ministry relationships in my head. So I've got some people I'm in ministry relationship with. I love them. They're wonderful people. We spend time together. We do. Hopefully they get out of it what they need. And, and, and God teaches me a lot of things. That's very cool. But I wouldn't consider that a relationship. I've reframed that relationship. I'm not going to get out of it. I can't just leave it and let that person uh, hang on the vine, you know, struggling or, or whatever. I want to engage. But I've got to reframe that. Does that make sense? Can you translate that into your own world? Somehow, sometimes you just have to reframe that relationship. Here's the second thing, and, and maybe even better than trying to figure out how to get out of reframing in these relationships that are already difficult. Here's a better way to think is uh, the second thing I do. Make it better. Make the relationship better. Like, fight for it. Like, fight for it. Make it better. Start thinking about how would we get on purpose, uh, a common purpose. How could I do that in this relationship with this person that I'm thinking about right now? What would it take to get us on common purpose? Uh, what are some steps that I can take right now that might help us move in that direction? That might be interesting just to have a conversation about, about the sermon today. <laughs> That'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? Just start talking about that. Right? What are some things that we can do to be on mission together? Right? Uh, uh, if, if, if a mark of a healthy relationship is someone who's willing to suffer with me, and I never ask that person to be with me in that, is that really their problem or my problem? Make sense? And so we begin to think, how do I fight for this relationship? I would, I would encourage that, especially if it's an intimate relationship in your life, that you don't have the option to leave, like a marriage. Or maybe some family relationships. Or maybe it is a work relationship. You don't have the option just to pick up and leave. 
right? But how would you make it better? What are some things that you could do to fight for that relationship and make it a healthy relationship? Here's the third thing that I'd suggest if, if you're struggling with this, is find some. <laughs> find some of these healthy types of relationships. Uh, my, my daughter uh, got it. My oldest daughter got a fish a while back. I hate, I hate pets. I'm just on record because I kill all the pets that we've ever had. And it's really silly. And so my daughter got a fish, and I'm like, ah, oh, it's going to die. It's a feeder fish. It's one of those 25-cent goldfish, so it'll probably live forever, right? And so because it's sick right now, I don't know. Anyways, uh, she can't take it out. Don't, don't, don't go and give her advice on how to care for a fish. We're just letting Google and her figure it out. But uh, so, so she's not taking it out of the cage to clean the cage. She's just putting clean water in and letting the bad water flow out. I don't care if that's a real thing with fish. Like, just go with me on the illustration for a second. Because sometimes just finding lots of healthy people to put into your life we don't have to focus so much on the unhealthy relationships. Over time, those might just begin to filter out. Does that make sense? I'm just looking for some kind of I'm making sense up here. So this idea of find some healthy relationships. Start filling your life with those kind of relationships, especially if you don't have many or any of those kinds of relationships. Be intentional about who you ask to go to coffee with you or take to lunch after church. As you look around on a Sunday morning, start praying, God, who should I be in a relationship with that's going to be really healthy? And, and, and crazy enough, God often just sp- springs a person in your head. You, you, you see a guy or a gal, and you're like, oh, they look really, I, would, I don't know, that could be funny, right? <laughs> Let's hang out. And God does what God does through those things. Healthiest relationships don't just fall into your lap. Man, I think you've got to seek them out. So, so here as we, we wrap up, the Bible's got a lot to say about relationships, right? From the very beginning to the very end, it's got so much more to say about relationships and living together than, than Alexa does because God created us to live in relationship. Truly, life is better together. I mean, other people in our life is God's plan A for our spiritual growth. Those who are in relationship, healthy relationships, the relationships marked by these things, those who are in relationship go spiritually further faster, right? People are God's planning for our life and growth. Well, that's why we put so much emphasis on getting into groups at North Point. Like, groups is just an opportunity to develop relationship. It's not that you have to be in a North Point group to be doing it right, or, but the idea of being plugged into a group with other people, intentional disciple-making friendships, that's why we put such a big emphasis on it. It's why you hear us say all the time, like, if you just come on Sunday mornings, that, that's cool. We're so glad you're here, but, but you're missing out on something, it's not all that it could or should be because really this experience right now that we're having, that I love corporate worship, but this is not relationship. This is a good, important, healthy thing, but it is not relationship. So we make such a big deal at North Point about the idea of being in relationships, somehow finding intentional disciple-making friendships. Now, if you're thinking about that in your head and you're like, man, I, I'd love that, Chris, but I, I don't even know where to start. Like, that's what I get to do for a living. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I get to help people think through creative ways to plug into healthy relationships. So here's how I want to finish this morning. We, always, we often finish the same because we just think it's important. We think God pushes things into our soul through music. If you'd stand, we'll sing a song together, and then we'll be done.